0: Well, hello, hello, everybody. It is Nurse Mo and welcome back to the Straight A Nursing Podcast. I'm so happy that you're here today and we are on episode 93. And today we're talking about what to do if you're failing nursing school or really, really struggling. So before we get into that, let's take a quick moment to do our listener shout out. And this listener shout out is from someone who goes by the uh, screen name Sparkly. And Mm -hmm. Sparkly says, Nurse Mo has such a cheerful and soothing voice that helps make what could be mundane material and turns it into something delightful to learn about. This podcast has helped me tremendously with breaking down complex subjects into bite-sized pieces that make it easier to remember. I listen to her on my 40-minute commute to school and helps make what could have been wasted time into precious study time. Thank you so much, Nurse Mo, for this wonderful resource. I can't wait to utilize some of your books and online courses later this semester as I approach nursing school the fall of 2020. So to that, I want to say thank you so much for taking the time to reach out and post that very nice review. I've never thought of my voice as cheerful and soothing, but now I will thanks to you. So I appreciate the feedback. And yes, absolutely. Check out the website. Check out the Crucial Concepts Boot Camp. And that goes for anybody who's starting school. That's a boot camp that is geared towards the incoming nursing student. And so um, there'll be a lot of information on my website about that. But today we're talking about the student that's in school and is really struggling or even failing. So if you're failing, if you're struggling, I want to provide you with some things that you can do right now to help start turning things around. I would like to just take a moment to tell you that... You're going to be okay. I know that this is probably one of the hardest, most difficult times of your life. I understand that your stress level is absolutely through the roof, as is your frustration level as well, I can imagine, and that you're probably beating yourself up on a pretty regular basis. So before we go any further, can I just get an agreement from you that you're going to stop beating yourself up, you're going to put away negative self-talk, and you're going to start looking at this as a problem that can be solved, okay? Because what do nurses do? What do I say all the time, you guys? Nurses see problems and fix them. And that's what we're going to do, hopefully a little bit today with you. And if you're not failing and you're not struggling, I don't want you to tune out and turn this off because you might learn some tips to help prevent you getting to this point. Because the other thing that nurses do, aside from seeing problems and fixing them, is they anticipate problems and work to avoid them. So The reason for failing nursing school or struggling through nursing school, usually it's going to fall into one of a few different categories. Either you're failing an actual course, and this is usually because of exams, because so much of your grade is heavily, heavily weighted on exams. It could also be that you're failing in your clinical in your clinical rotations, or maybe you failed something like a dosage calculations exam or a check off, and you've been given remediation and redone those and you failed again, and maybe you have one more attempt and you're about to be excused from the program. So those are typically the three buckets of reasons why students Fail, well, I wouldn't say those are the reasons. Those are the categories. The reasons for the struggle are many, and we'll talk about those in just a moment. But first, let's talk about um, if you're failing an actual course. So if you're failing an actual course, the first thing that I want you to do is objectively think about why you might be failing that course. So this could be that you are not doing well on exams. That's probably the reason, but there could be other reasons. Um, Maybe your exams are okay, but everything else, your papers, your projects are suffering. Maybe that's why you're not um, able to keep your grade above that 80% or 75% or whatever it is for your school to be considered passing. So first, you need to identify where you're having trouble. And what I ask students to do is identify, let's say it's exams that you're really struggling with and you're failing your exams. So... Um, Is it that you don't feel like you know the material? Do you not know how to study effectively? You go into the test with no idea what the right answers are. Or do you study before the exam? You're doing great. You get in the room and test anxiety completely robs you of your confidence. Are you not understanding how to study? Are you not understanding what material to focus on? Maybe it's that you're having trouble with the particular individual concept. And for the life of you, you cannot keep the different endocrine disorders separate in your mind, or you cannot think through cardiac electrophysiology well enough to do adequately on your exam. So if you can identify where the trouble is, then we can start to brainstorm ideas for getting past that. So One of the things I ask students to do is really try to identify where they're struggling in their course. And if it's exams, what is it about the exam? Is it the test taking environment? Is it NCLEX style questions that are causing you trouble? Are you not studying the right information? Do you not have enough time to study? Are you riddled with test anxiety? Are you, um, let's see, what's the other one? Uh, not grasping a particular concept, any of those things could be problems. So I want you to see if you can pinpoint it on your own. And if you still aren't sure, and even after you identify what the problem is, Seek out assistance from your professor. So your school should allow this. I have been shocked to learn that some schools will not provide test review. I think that's a gross violation of your rights as a student and as a learner to not provide test review to students after the exam. I understand that they're not going to give you the test to take home and review because they don't want to give you the test questions. However, you should be able to sit down with your instructor and go through the exam and talk about where your learning needs are. You are in this course to learn and they are there to teach you. And that is an excellent way to learn at the school where I got my undergrad and where I'm currently getting my master's. They do this with students. The students have to request it. They're not going to do it um, automatically on everyone. That would take a ton of time. And not every student needs to sit down with the professor. A lot of times you kind of know where you messed up. But if you're really struggling and you need that extra help, request to sit down with your instructor after the exam and talk through why the answers were wrong and why the rationales for why the correct answers are correct and why the wrong answers are wrong. And that can be a really, really, helpful way for you to um, really just hone in on test questions and how to approach them. Because these NCLEX style test questions are really tricky. And a lot of times it just takes shifting your mindset and the way you answer questions, because you're not used to thinking in this way. So I'm going to link to a lot of different resources that are available on my website um, in the show notes. So look for some um, resources down below about test anxiety, about NCLEX style questions and things like that. So the other thing I talked about was identifying if concepts, which concepts might be really giving you a lot of trouble. And whenever I would come across something like this, like, let's say it's endocrine disorders or whatever, I found that reorganizing information was really helpful or putting it into a format that my brain could recognize. So if I'm doing something like comparing endocrine disorders, I would make a table and put the endocrine disorders in a table. And I can... um, I have a podcast episode about Cushing's and Addison's, where I feel like I demonstrate this really well. Where you look at endocrine disorders, for example, in um, in groupings, so that when you're looking at the. One disorder that might be too low of a hormone, you're at the same time studying the disorder that's too high of the hormone. So, for instance, hypothyroid and hyperthyroid. If you study those together, you can compare and contrast the differences at the same time and solidify something confusing like endocrine disorders a little better and so i would put these into a table where you know you would have the signs and symptoms of each one the treatments for each one the endocrine pathway for each one whatever it is the lab tests for each one put that into table format so you can look at it and see how it's organized. And then hopefully, maybe during your exam, you can look at it in your mind's eye and recall that information. So I really did find that making tables and organizing information in a way that made sense to me was helpful. I'm not going to rely on the professor's PowerPoint to be my end-all, be-all method of studying for an exam. That is the biggest mistake that nursing students make. So I'm not going to rely on that. I'm going to put it into a format that works for me. And for me, tables are really, really effective. Maybe for you, it's narrative format or paragraph or drawing a picture. Whatever works for you, try to do it that way, especially with those concepts that are really challenging. The other thing I suggest, especially when concepts are difficult for you, is to go and get other sources for that information. So, for example, when I was learning about um, all the electrophysiology that went into cardiac muscle contraction way back in my anatomy and physiology class, the way my instructor explained it, I kind of got it, but I didn't fully get it. And I knew there was a lot going on with that. So I went to YouTube, I think, and I found videos of other professors explaining it. And I read it in at least two different different anatomy and physiology books. And so by getting that information in different formats from different sources, I was then able to assimilate it and write Narrative in my own words that made sense to me. So sometimes finding multiple resources out there in different formats, maybe it's you're listening to one of my podcast episodes about it, and then you're going to YouTube and watching a video, and then you're running over to the Mayo Clinic website to get that perspective, which is really like patient centered perspective, and then you're reading your book or maybe a different book. So getting information about the same topic from several different resources can often be just the thing you need to put the pieces together for a complex topic. And with that, you are studying in different ways. So maybe you're watching videos sometimes, maybe you're listening sometimes. Again, a lot of people like to draw, a lot of people like to make tables or concept maps, like finding the method that works for you is going to go a really long way in making your studying really efficient and singular for your learning style and how you best perform. So When you're failing an actual nursing school course, the first step, you guys, is you have to try to identify why you're failing. And a lot of you struggle with test anxiety. You're awesome students. You're so smart. You study so hard, but then you get into the exam and it's all bets are off and the anxiety wins and takes over. And you start second-guessing yourself and changing your answers or not reading things thoroughly because your anxiety is through the roof. So I'm going to link to a podcast I did recently about test anxiety as well. And I believe in that. I talk a little bit about my test day strategy. I invite you to develop a test day strategy that helps keep you calm and centered and focused. The very first thing I would say about taking an exam is to not study on the day of the exam. Studying on the day of the exam, for some reason, I don't know what it is, but it puts anxiety back into the mix. So if you can study the night before, get a good night's rest, and in the morning of you're not studying, you're relaxing, maybe you're listening to some calm music, you're going to avoid the group panic session that occurs in the hallway outside of every nursing school exam room on the entire planet. You're going to show up. You're going to take some deep breaths and tackle your exam. So I talk a lot more about those kinds of things in the episode on test anxiety, if that is something that you feel is holding you back from doing well on exams. And then um, another thing that you could be having trouble with about your exams and your overall studying is the way that you're studying. So maybe you're in a study group that is not a productive use of your time and you're spending precious time in an environment that's not helping you. I will link to an episode I did about study groups and how to tell if they're wasting your time, how to utilize a study group effectively or just forego them altogether and study on your own. I studied so much better on my own or with one other person than I ever did with a group. I know some people do well in groups, but there is a high risk with study groups for it to get a little unfocused and be inefficient. If you are going to study in a group, I do provide tips in that on how to make it effective for you. One of the types of people that I think can really benefit from a study group or a group kind of arrangement is parents. Because if you've got kids, especially smaller kids, your study time is going to be even more elusive and hard to keep hold of. So something that I like to suggest for the parents in your class is if you can get together with a few other parents, maybe there's three or four of you, and you come up either with a schedule where you share child care, either you pool your funds and you hire a babysitter and you all get together at one person's house and you you get someone's niece to come babysit the kids in the den and you all go into the dining room and study for four hours, or maybe you take turns um, I'll watch all the kids while the three of you study, and then you rotate that way. Like finding a way to study as a parent, I think, is a totally other animal. Um, another option would be to get together maybe with one or two other parents. And the kids are there. Maybe they're old enough to kind of entertain themselves in the other room. Or maybe they're little babies or small, and you have them with you. But... You're there with a friend who can help you. Maybe the kids are entertaining each other and you're able to study in a small group environment like that. So finding creative ways to find little snippets of study time as a parent is key. If you do have the benefit of childcare, maybe you've got a family member or a spouse or somebody who's helping you with that. What some of the students in my class did when they had kids at home was they just were on such a schedule. Even if class ended at 10 a.m., they were committed. They had that child care coverage until like 5 p.m. They didn't go home and get distracted by things because that will happen. They would stay at the school, go to the library or wherever, student center, and study uninterrupted for the rest of the day. And then go home at 5 o'clock and be totally present for their kids. So lots of different strategies for people with kids. I realize I don't have kids. I'm using examples from what other people have told me works for them um, and trying to help you guys think creatively through it. Because that could be a real big barrier if you're just not getting enough quality study time because you have these other priorities that are really important to you. The other thing to really think about if you're not getting enough study time, or um, you feel really overwhelmed just with everything, because nursing school is really busy, is what else is going on in your life. So I'm a big believer of thinking honestly about what things I commit to doing. And I'm the type of person that wants to do everything. So um When I'm committing to doing something new, you have to frame it this way in your mind. You have to say, okay, if I'm going to say yes to X, what am I willing to say no to so that I can do X? So um, when you put it that way, you start to realize what your priorities are and how you could maybe weed out things that aren't serving your best interests right now. So for instance, let's say that somebody asks you to volunteer in your kid's classroom uh, one day a week, and you love doing that, right? But when you say, okay, if I say yes to going to little Sally's classroom for four hours every week... What am I willing to say no to to make that happen? Because you're going to have to say no to something because you cannot say yes to everything. And I find that nursing students are such highly motivated, such high achieving people. We think we can say yes to everything and we can't. We're not superhuman, guys. I hate to be the one to break it to you. So maybe you're doing something outside of school that is you're saying yes to that, but in a way you're saying no to study time, because that's just the way things work out. So maybe you can start saying no to some things so that you can say yes to your nursing school education. So just a mindset thing to really be thinking about as you're prioritizing your time and all of those things. So if you're failing a course, you know, again, try to identify your learning style. Try to identify where you struggle try to sit down with your professor and go through exams. Think creatively about ways that you could sneak in more study time and seek out other resources, other ways to study and get information. And then I'm going to link to a bunch of things with some tips. Maybe test anxiety is is your challenge. Maybe you're not taking very good notes. I've got resources for all of that. So Failing a class is one thing, but what about if we're failing in clinicals? If you're failing clinical, in some ways, this is even more stressful because the clinical environment is so unfamiliar to students because it's everything is new. It's hard to sometimes know what to do to fix it. And if you're in that environment and you're in jeopardy, you're going to definitely feel like you're under a massive microscope, which is just going to make your anxiety so much worse. So I feel for you if you're in this position, um, clinicals, you know, anxiety producing enough as it is, but having that instructor watching you even more closely um, is going to make even things that should be, you know, manageable, uh, a high stakes case. And that's just such a tough place to be. And I totally feel for you guys if you're going through this. So the best thing, you know, you can do when you're in jeopardy at clinical is you got to get real good clarity on what the the issues are. So your clinical instructor should be able to articulate exactly where you're falling short, where your opportunities for improvement lie. So maybe you made a med error, um, and they're giving you another chance. If that's the case, you now know okay, medication administration is an area where I need to focus. So when you're giving meds, you're going to slow down by like half or more and be very conscientious and very careful in that way. Um, Speaking to your clinical instructor is, is absolutely key. Hopefully, they don't just say things like, you're not getting it or you're not thinking critically you need examples, you need to know how to fix it. Because critical thinking is one of those things that might be hard for you to understand until someone gives you an example. So Try to get that feedback from your clinical instructor. Maybe it's your clinical prep work that's suffering. Can you get some insight on what needs to be improved in that regard? Maybe your charting is subpar. Well, maybe you need to get a little help, a little feedback, a little... examples of what exemplary charting even looks like, because maybe you just don't know. Maybe um, you were doing a procedure, and you forgot to do hand hygiene. And now your instructor is thinking that you're not a safe nurse, or you didn't dispose of a sharp correctly, like whatever it is, find out the issue that is plaguing you if you can. And then you um, From there, you want to talk with your clinical professor and come up with an action plan for improving your clinical performance. And maybe that's... Um, getting some tutoring, or getting a book on how to chart, or finding some additional resources, or maybe you can attend open lab time and do some extra practice. So identify the problem and speak to your professor very candidly about it. So I can't stress enough for you guys how important it is to prep very thoroughly for your clinical rotations. I was always surprised to hear about students who would show up and their clinical prep wouldn't be complete. For us, that was a, you go home right now, come back if you finish it, and maybe we'll still be here but most likely you missed a clinical day and that was a very, very bad thing. So do all of your clinical prep work. Do it as perfectly as you are able and um, think of it as an exam every week that you have clinical because it kind of is an exam that you're having every week. You're also going to show up to clinical on time. You're going to be extra punctual with that you're showing up prepared you're showing up with your paperwork you're showing up with your stethoscope your watch your pens whatever it is that you need to do your job you're showing up with a positive attitude a learning attitude an eager attitude and as you're going about your day your clinical day Especially when you're new, it can be really easy to feel like you're constantly behind because things take a really long time. When you're learning a skill and learning a routine, you're going to be so slow. And guess what? That's okay. As long as you don't miss a medication administration time, um, Going slow is probably not going to be a detriment. Now, obviously, if a patient's in distress and you have to do some kind of action to quickly save them, you want to intervene appropriately, um, if you're not sure what to do in any situation, you get help, you call for help, okay? So maybe one of the things that's causing you to be in jeopardy at clinical is that you're not intervening appropriately for patients that are in trouble. So for example, let's say that you take a blood pressure on your patient and it's 82 over 51, And you don't tell anybody, and you don't recheck it, and you don't do anything about it, and you leave, and the patient is just hanging there with the blood pressure of 82. So the critical thinking component to something like that is, oh, this is abnormal. I'm going to go tell the nurse. And then hopefully the nurse um, lets the MD know, and you do some kind of intervention for that patient, and then reassess. So you have to be able to um, intervene appropriately for patients. So in that regard, being slow, Uh, may not be the best thing. I don't mean be slow to act and react. I'm talking about being slow and mindful as you do a skill or give a medication. You're not going to rush through the five rights. You're going to really pay attention to each and every one. And if you're ever in a situation where a patient has an abnormal finding, you're immediately going to let somebody know about that. So Always just paying attention in clinical to areas where you could be improving and having that honest discussion with your clinical instructor can really help you identify what you need to focus on in order to get over that hump and get out of jeopardy. Okay, and then the other way that you could be failing or struggling very much in nursing school is with those high stakes assessments like skills checkoffs. So you've got A few that are considered critical checkoffs throughout your nursing school career. And maybe you failed one of those. And most schools are going to give you um, two, three attempts to pass a skills checkoff. You take a, let's say you do a skills checkoff and you don't pass. Well, they're going to provide you with some extra education called remediation. And that's just an extra education for you on the areas where you did not do so well or where you failed. And then you'll get a chance to redo that skills checkoff. So let's say you've failed and you're having to go back and retake a skills checkoff. It can be really nerve wracking to know that, oh my gosh, I've only got one or two attempts left. First thing I want you to do is take a deep breath in and take a deep breath out because it's all going to be okay because you're going to go back and you're going to listen to my podcast on how to prepare for skills checkoff. That was just a few episodes ago. And you're going to prepare for this checkoff just like you would for any exam because guess what? It is an exam. So you want to make sure that you understand what the criteria is for passing the checkoff. It should state on there everything that you're expected to do in order to pass And I would take that list and I would practice that with friends, family, everybody that would let me and run through the whole script as if I'm rehearsing for a play where I'm, you know, performing the role of the amazing nurse. So um, go through your skills check off, make a script, practice it. Don't just think about doing the steps, do the steps wash your hands or mime washing your hands. Uh, Mime or mimic putting on gloves and then do the actual skill on a person who is there as your volunteer and get used to doing it over and over and over again so that when it comes time to do your checkoff, you're really confident and you've got this down. Okay. And then the other thing is a lot of checkoffs will have a lot of information that you need to memorize and have at the tip of your tongue in case they ask you a question. And the checkoff that for us was the most like this was the one about um, giving injections. So we had to know all these different measurements that were so stressful, like what gauge needle for this, what length needle, how many mils can this one hold, what kind of medication would you be able to give in this kind of... um, a needle. Where would you use it? The deltoid or the vastus lateralis? And where are those? And what are the landmarks for those? And it was just a ton of information. And this is the checkoff. I've talked about it before. That sent people over the edge like crying at the checkoff. And oh, man, I don't ever want you guys to be that stressed out. So if you're having trouble in skills checkoff and you're facing remediation and you're having to redo your skills, go and listen to the episode about how to survive sin- and your skills checkoffs that was just a few episodes ago let me see I can just go back real quick and look for you guys and tell you where it was that was episode let's see episode 86 you guys so go check that one out so what I'm going to do um okay next before I tell you all the things I'm going to link to. I'm going to um, mention appeals really quickly. So let's say you have failed. You failed out. You've been, you failed your course, you failed clinical, whatever it is, you failed. You're either going to have to leave the program forever, and some schools might be like that, or maybe you can appeal to repeat a semester. So if you're writing an appeal there may be particular information your school wants in it. If they don't give you any, um, like guidelines on what that appeal should include, then I would suggest including um, you don't want to be blaming other people um, and whatnot for your failure, because it is your failure. You have to own it. Nurses are the most trusted profession for a reason, and that's because we have incredible integrity. So I want you to own up to your failure and identify. Let them know that you've identified where your failure occurred. Um Identify whatever that is so that they know that you've got the ability to come up with an action plan and you actually should, if you've got one, and I would highly suggest creating one, your action plan for the steps you're taking to mitigate those things that can um, propose your risk for failure. So for example, maybe you were working 40 hours a week and that was the problem. Um, You're not going to blame your failure on the fact that you're working, but you can say, I've identified that my study time was limited based on my, you know, my job requirements of 40 hours a week. I have spoken with my supervisor and I have cut my schedule down to 15 hours per week. So, you know, something like that, something that shows I've identified the problem and I've come up with an intervention. Guess what, guys? Your nursing problem processing your appeal and your uh, ability to do well in nursing school. You've applied the nursing process to it completely. So if you can identify the issue, tell them what you're doing to mitigate that issue or, you know, overcome that issue, outline the steps that you've taken or that you plan to take to um, help you get past those challenges. And then also, you know, it doesn't hurt to reiterate your passion and your why, why you want to be a nurse, why you're so passionate about this, what you find valuable about what you've learned about the program, that you appreciate the help and attention um, that your professors have given you. If it's you know, lack of preparedness, own up to that. You can't um, brush it away. Um, you you know, admittedly, I came to clinical unprepared a couple of times and I regret the, you know, my decision to do that. I've identified the circumstances that led to that. And here's how I'm going to show up to clinical prepared in the future. So um, just being very professional and very honest about that in your appeal. So hopefully, um, if you do have to file an appeal, it gets accepted and you're able to get back into the program. And you may be repeating and you might not get to graduate with your cohort. And that's fine. You're still going to be a nurse, okay? You'll make friends in the new cohort, and then you'll have twice as many nursing school friends. So there you go. Um, I hope that's helpful to you guys. So what I want to just tell you is that I'm linking to some things in this uh, episode. So uh, test anxiety, I'll link to that. I'll link to a post about how to take notes in nursing school. I will link to a post about NCLEX questions and a way that you can kind of approach them that might help you not view them as so terrifying. Uh, I wrote about what to focus on in nursing school. Sometimes students just have a hard time with what to focus on. I'll also link to a post I wrote about the latte method, which is just a way to really hone in on um, what to focus on when you're studying a disease condition. It's so easy to get distracted by all the shiny objects. This really helps you focus your thinking. And then again, I'll um, link to the one I wrote and the podcast about study groups and how they could be wasting your time and how to maybe mitigate that. And then I'm also um, working on a course for you guys that are struggling or failing or need a little bit of a boost. And it's called Nursing School Booster Shot. And I'm super excited about it. So I'm going to link to that as well. There'll be some information on my website about Nursing School Booster Shot. And it takes um, some key foundation concepts and expands on them, maybe things that you didn't quite get um, when you started your nursing school program that are worth reiterating and then all a bunch of other tips and things for turning things around if you're feeling like you're struggling or even if you're not struggling per se, but you want to be uh, an even uh, better student and optimize your nursing school performance. So that's called nursing school booster shot. And I'm super excited about that. So that was a lot of talking. I will let you guys go now. I hope you're having a fantastic day. And I appreciate again, as always, that you've chosen to spend your free time with me, maybe you're commuting or exercising, and it wasn't that free, but I do appreciate it so very much. I enjoy our time together more than you know. And then next week, we're going to be talking about something that I used to call idiot proofing my patient, meaning even if I walk into the room and I'm being a complete idiot, I, you know, I could know what's going on with the patient, but then I realized that's not very positive phrasing. So what I'm calling it now is um, doing a patient, like, I got to think of a better term for it, but it's like. Fully like making your room and your patient an environment of safety. Okay, so we're going to be talking about that in the next episode. And that will be coming up next week. Same time, same place. So I'll see you guys here. Take care and thanks again. Bye-bye. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing.